man, who's excited? Whoa, man, that's some weak sauce there. I've been fighting off a cold for three days and binging Netflix, and I can do better than that. Come on, who's excited, right? All right, that's a little bit better. Hopefully we'll get there, and maybe Jesus will grab your heart before the end of the service, all right? Uh, Hey, I believe, honestly, this series could be incredibly, incredibly pivotal for your faith. I really do. You know, some of you that are sitting in the room today, you've been saved 20, 30, 40 years, and you've never told anyone else about Jesus Christ. You realize that there might be some folks in here today that um, you've been a Christian for a good balance of your Christian life, and you've never, ever taken the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with something else. And the crazy thing about that is this, is that being a disciple of Jesus Christ means that we become what Jesus was, and that was a reproducing uh, Christian. And I believe this morning that we begin this series, and it could be pivotal for your life, and I genuinely believe that it could be pivotal for our church and our community. If you look around, and I, and I want to be um, just, I want to I let this to some degree just kind of sink in this morning, okay? Uh, would you just look around, look around the room, all right? Um, you know, a year ago, in the middle of summer, just look around. I know it's kind of weird, but go ahead and look around. We, I know it's... <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of weird folks that come to church here. <laughs> and when I say look around, I'm just like, look at what I have to see every week. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I uh, know, right? So what I want you to see is that week in and week out, God keeps filling this building with more people that want to know about Jesus Christ. And today, you know, I want you to think about who's your one. Who's the one person that maybe before the end of the service today that God might lay on your heart that you can before the end of this year, or or, or even better yet, before the end of this series, tell them about Jesus Christ. And some of you today, you're already thinking in your mind, and Mike's going to teach on this next week, because I don't know about you, but we're really good at coming up with excuses. All of God's people said, we just do that, right? And um, the old adage is still true. Telling people about Jesus is as simply as one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. That's it. All you have to do is tell your story. Really quick, and I didn't ask if I could do this today, but Trish, would you just come here for just a second? Yeah, let's give it up for Trish. Trish uh, was invited by Gina Elberson, who's not here today, and let's text her and be like, hey, where were you at tonight? I'm just kidding, don't do that. We don't shame people, I'm just kidding. But, But last, this year, this year, she was invited by Gina. Church came to our church, I think, what was it, around Christmas time? Some, before Christmas. September. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you came in the fall. And over time, she came and started uh, checking our church out. And guess what happened? Jesus got a hold of her heart. And she recognized that she needed to know Christ personally as her Savior. Yeah. Right? Now, she's only been saved, like, um, maybe six months or so, right? Last week... She brought her friend Jenny to church. And not only that, Jenny's kind of living with her. She's got some things going on. She's not here today because she wasn't feeling well. I was hoping she would, but that's okay. But last week, she came to church uh, at church's invitation because obviously we're all a broken people in need of a Savior, right? So Jenny comes to church last week, and at the end of the service, Jenny comes forward, and someone takes a Bible and opens it up and tells her how she can personally know Jesus Christ as her Savior. Then, 
After church, she accepts Jesus, and she goes out to the car and says, hey, Trish, you're never going to believe what's happened. Of course, you knew what had happened, right? And you're like, I already know, but, you know, God, it's like, you know, it's like a parent, you know. <clears throat> she goes, I got saved. And then she goes to squealing in the car like, woo! You know, this is awesome news, right? Right? Let's clap for that. Now, thank you so much for letting me do that. <clears throat> Here's the thing. And please bear with my cold today, and I do apologize. I'm going to try not to infect this part of the church today. Here's the key. To some degree as a pastor, I really don't want Trish hanging out with the rest of you guys because she kind of gets what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. She just thinks in her mind that it's a normal thing for Christians to tell people that are not Christians who Jesus was. Right? Because some of us, again, and Mike's going to talk about this next week, we're super good at making excuses for why we aren't telling our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and our family about who Jesus was and who he is. Now consider what comes to mind when you think about a politician, right? What comes to mind when you, there, there's a lot of things that come to mind when you think about what it means to be a politician. Consider what comes to mind when you think of a CrossFit fanatic, right? There's some folks in here who do some CrossFit. I know Dave's back there. You do a little CrossFit, Dave? Weightlifting? All right. All right. Hey, look, CrossFit's not for sissies, so, you know, I'm just saying. And so, but, but there's a certain thing that comes to mind, right? How about, a, uh, how about a millennial, right? Good or bad, right? When we use the word millennial, some people have an opinion of that. Um, and then you have boomers, and then you have Gen Xers and all that stuff. Something comes to mind when we use uh, things to identify those certain groups of people. Now, odds are you have a central association with each of those, but what comes to mind, right? And, and maybe jot this down today. What comes to mind when you hear the word Christian? What comes to mind? Because the odds are, odds are you associate that word with certain characteristics. The broader co- culture also forms impressions of what a Christian is and and whether or not they are one. And a lot of people think they're Christians when they're really not, right? And so the first followers of Jesus didn't even call themselves Christians. It was a derogatory term used by people outside of the faith. They would be like, ah, look at those Christians. And it was, the meaning, the original meaning was little Christs, because they were imitating, if you will, the life of Jesus Christ. In fact, in Acts 11, 26, We see the first Christians were known as disciples. The word Christian is used three times, three times in the entire Bible. That's it. But the word disciple, please write this down. The word disciple is used 281 times, 281 times. And so a disciple is a far more accurate and compelling description of what it means to follow Jesus. And as we see, the concept of a disciple actually exposes the fact that many who claim to be Christians are not really Christians at all, okay? Now, let me give you a little bit, <coughs> let me give you a little bit of historical background. Some of you are going to love this because you're like, you love history, you love context. Other of you, you're going to glaze over for like a minute, but let me give you a little bit of historical background, all right? Culturally, it kind of sets the stage for what is happening. Now, in Bible times, All Hebrew boys went to Torah school starting at the age of five. Torah school. Every Hebrew boy went to that. They learned about the the first five books of the Bible. By the age of 10, all young boys knew the Torah, 
and the best students went on to study the remainder of the Old Testament. So you, you go to Torah school uh, at age five. By age 10, they kind of they said, okay, these kids are going to go, and if they're really good, they're going to go on, and they're going to learn more of the Old Testament. This is kind of like the AP class of the Bible, right? The remainder, uh, the rest returned home, and they would work in their family businesses. So basically, you'd go to school from five to 10. If you were good, you kept learning the Bible. If not, you just kind of went back and you worked for mom and dad in the family business, whatever that business might be. At about the age of 17, if you wanted to go and make a career out of religious studies, your next step was to find a rabbi that you had admired, right? You found a teacher, and, and you apply to become one of his, his disciples, one of his learners, if you will. When you found a rabbi, what you would do is you would go, and you would just sit at his feet. He'd be in the temple, he would be teaching, and all of a sudden, uh, this young man, about 17 years old, he would come and he would sit at the feet of this particular rabbi that he wanted to be trained by and wanted to learn uh, from him the word of God. Now, the rabbi would examine you. He would ask you questions, and he would put you through a series of tests to see if you would be worthy to be his disciples. So, so really, ultimately, the decision was based on that rabbi to choose his own disciple based on that young man's ability to pass certain tests uh, uh, regarding the Old Testament, his knowledge and skill in handling the Word of God at the age of 17. And so the rabbis would then choose the smartest, and they would choose the most talented boys to be their disciples. Are you guys with me so far? Now, here's the thing. Another reason the rabbis were so picky is that when they would choose a disciple, they were choosing someone whom they believed would become just like them, right? And my wife and I, we've been to Israel. And I mean, they wear the caps still. They have the beards and they have the tassels and all that. And I was thinking about that this week. And I, and I was thinking, you know, um, that would be similar today. They would look at them and they'd probably wear their hat the same. They'd do their beard the same. They'd have the tassels the same way. They would imitate them. They would live out life and appear to be the same way that they were going to become. They were, they were choosing someone who they believed would become just like them. To not just know what they knew, but listen, to do what they did, right? That's what uh, a young man was signing up for. And so for several years, these young disciples would follow their rabbi, imitating them in every way. And the goal was to be like the rabbi. All right, you guys with me so far? Okay, so that's the historical context that we read Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. And what we find in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ was kind of, again, inverted. Jesus just does things backwards to the way the world does things, doesn't he? And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of glad that he does, because what we find in the passage that Pastor Mike read today was this. Jesus calls ordinary disciples into an extraordinary mission. Jesus picks a bunch of posers and gives them a purpose that transcends anything that this world offers. Jesus picks the ordinary bunch of guys and girls to do what he has called them to do. And what Jesus does is he calls us to a life of faith, listen, that's worth leaving everything to obey him. And so this morning, I want to give us quickly five thoughts that will help us to consider and think about how we can live our lives in a way that shows that we are truly a disciple of Jesus Christ and at the same time 
fulfills the very reason why we're still here as Christians. Because listen, <coughs> if all of life was just about salvation, the moment that I get saved, he would just what? Take me out, right? Take me home. You guys with me? The only reason I'm still here is so that other people can know about him. The only reason you're still here, is, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, is so that other people can know about the good news of the gospel. So the first thought is this. We find this in this passage, uh, verse 18 through 22, is this. We find it in verse 18. Jesus doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing, right? Aren't you thankful for that today? Jesus chooses the, the, not the best, but he chooses the willing. In verse 18, it says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, this new rabbi, chooses Peter and Andrew, who were fishermen. The fact that they were fishermen tells you what, right? Think about that for a minute. The fact that they were fishermen, what does that tell us about how Jesus was going about changing the world and fulfilling his mission? Now, it tells us this, and please write this down. This is good stuff right here. They were part of the B team, right? Right out of the gate, if we understand the historical context, these cats went to tourist school for five years, and they were rejected, right? It's like they sent their letter into college to Harvard or to Yale or to Stanford or to UCLA, and they said, uh, we regretfully reject you, um, you can get on the short bus and you can go somewhere else, but we're not receiving you into our school, right? That they, got, they got turned down. And so Jesus says, I don't need the religious elite to do what uh, the mission of God is. I just need men and women that are willing to do what I've called them to do. They were part of the B team. They weren't the best of the best. They weren't educated. Ladies and gentlemen, let that sink in. Because when Jesus chose his squad to build his movement, he chose the B team, right? He didn't choose the varsity. He didn't choose the, the, the all-star team. He didn't ex- uh, uh, choose the, the, the most excellent of the day. He chose the second of the best. And those were the men that would end up changing the world with the message of the gospel. And this morning, we find the same is true in our lives. You know, this rabbi had chosen them. Guys that had no potential, they had no personal power, And they just were called to follow him and to become like him, to know God like he knew God, to know what he knew, to do what he did, and then to be filled with his power. Now, I don't know about you, but who wants some of that in their life? Now, John MacArthur said it this way. He said, God skipped all the wisdom of the day. He just skipped all the wisdom of the day. The greatest scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers were in Athens. The powerful were in Rome. He passed over uh, Herodotus, the historian, and uh, Socrates, the great thinker, and even Julius Caesar. He chose men so ordinary, it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts. Jesus chose the common everyday man to take the most important message around the world through these men by his power in the Spirit. But friends, I'm going to tell you, you think Jesus didn't know about the internet? You know, I know Al Gore thinks he invented the internet, but Jesus knew about the internet. He knew about the Kindle version of the Bible. He knew about the Bible app. He knew, he knew all of that stuff was going to come at some point in history, 
and yet his means and method of spreading the gospel around the world and in our communities is through ordinary men and women like you and me. Jesus chose the B team because his work in the world wouldn't come from their abilities uh, for him, but from what he could do through them. People with a lot of talent and people with a lot of ability would only get in the way because they would never learn to lean on his power. Listen, when was the last time in your life that you had to lean into the power of God to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? One of the values of our church is that we believe that if you're going to grow, if you are going to grow in your faith, it's going to be when and if you become a disciple that shares his faith with people that are far from God. We just believe that. It's one of those things that when you're telling people about Christ, it can be a scary thing. It can be a fearful thing, especially when you're talking to the educated of the day or when you're talking to someone that's an atheist. All of those things can be a reason for us not to share the gospel. But man, when you obey and the Holy Spirit meets you at that place of faith and obedience, it's unbelievable what God supernaturally does through a vessel that's available and willing for him. God wants to use you in your family. He wants to use you in your work. So let's stop making excuses that we're not able. He doesn't need your ability. He only wants your availability. As we often say, he doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And I just want to ask you in this first thought this morning, please note this today. Have you made yourself available? Have you made yourself available? And so the first thing we see in verse 18 is he chooses Uh, He doesn't choose the best, he chooses the willing. But then we see, too, that he chooses us, not we him. Historically, those young men that wanted to be rabbis would choose the rabbi, and then the rabbi would choose them to affirm that decision. That was the the normal way that all of this went down. You were the best of your class. You applied to the rabbi. And if he liked what he saw, he chose you back. Now, his selection then gave them a great deal of confidence. Now, some of you, some of these guys would struggle, but they could say, even though they were struggling, oh, but my rabbi, he believed in me, he chose me. But listen to this. Jesus started that process way before we can even imagine. You realize that when Jesus was on the cross, he knew my name. Jesus knew that he was dying for my sins. Jesus knew that he would call me out in an effectual call and that he would redeem me, he would restore me, he would renew me, and he would give me purpose. And there are days in my life and in my journey of faith that I struggle and I wonder, God, am I really called to do this? God, am I really able to do this? And he says, no, you're not, Jason, but I sure am. So God, uh, listen, he chose me. I didn't choose him. He, He made that decision. They didn't even come to sit at his feet. Jesus came seeking them when they weren't even looking for him. Are you with me? John We John talked about that this morning. Uh, we love him because he first loved, right? And so listen, even in our mess, even in our mess, he calls us into mission. So believe this, if you're a disciple, he chose you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he is he is. He has commissioned you for this purpose. And I love John 15, 16, because he says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you, or I ordained you, that you should go and bear fruit. And your fruit should abide, so that wherever you ask 
the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now, the third thought is this. Look at verse 19. Therefore, whoever, um, he says in verse 9, he said, and then follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, verse 19 teaches us that our primary calling is just to be with him. You know this this morning, that he didn't tell them where they were going or what assignment he had for them. You, you guys with me today? Most of us will follow Jesus if we know the plan, right? Yeah, Amen? Most of us will follow someone if we know where we're going, what time we're going to get there, uh, how much is it going to cost, and how much time is this going to take, and is this going to be an imposition to me, right? When Jesus calls us out, he ain't going to tell us any of that stuff. It's going to be the ride of your life. It's going to be like a roller coaster, upside down, inside out, inverted, and you don't know what's next. But even though it's unpredictable, being in the will of God is the safest place that you and I could ever be. The person, the person that he wants us to become transcends the purpose that he's actually giving us. His primary call is not to do something, but it's to become like him. That's what he's calling us into. He didn't tell them where they were going. He didn't tell them what they would be doing. He didn't tell them that, and listen, history tells us these men gave their life. History tells us that Peter was uh, was, was crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to, to be crucified in the manner in which Jesus was crucified. Peter had no idea that it would cost him his life in that way. But all he knew in that moment was Jesus was calling him to himself, and he was willing to follow. Matthew Henry, the old commentator, says this, there's no learning comparable to that which is got by following Christ. Now listen, when Jesus died, came back from the dead, he gave them the great commission in Matthew chapter 28. We'll talk about that here in a moment. 30 to 60 days after that, these men began what we know now today is called the church, which is the ecclesia, the gathering of God's people together. The Bible teaches us that in Acts chapter 4, that Peter and the disciples were in the midst of the temple. And listen, the B team, the B team were standing up in the midst of the temple among the religious leaders of the day, preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, The Bible says this, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. And listen, they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. You guys with me? I'm going to tell you, you don't have to have a PhD and you don't have to have an MDiv. Listen, when you spend time with Jesus and the Holy Spirit's got a hold of your heart and he's in that moment when you're telling other people about Jesus Christ, he will give you the words to say. He'll help you out when you're trying to tell other people about Jesus Christ. The religious elite were stumped by God's power on these ordinary men. And I don't know about you, but how many of you would enjoy having the power of God on your life? How many of you would enjoy knowing that you are walking lock and step with what Jesus wants you to be and to become. And all along the way, having the opportunity to have an eternal impact on the people that God brings into your life. And so our primary calling is to be with him. But in verse 19, we see to follow him, we have to leave all. Verse 19 says, and he said unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then in verse 20, he says, and immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And then in verse uh, number uh, uh, 21, he says, and going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat, was Zebedee, their father, 
mending their nets, and he called them. And verse 22 says, and immediately, immediately, they left the boat. And listen to what it says. And their father. And they followed him. Following Jesus supersedes anything that we forsake. Why, why would the Bible identify these two things? Are you, do, you, do you realize this morning how exact and specific the word of God is today? Look at what it says there. Immediately, immediately. They didn't waste any time. They didn't make any excuses. They didn't rationalize anything. The moment that Christ called them, they obeyed. How completely different would our church be or your family be or your faith be if when Christ called you into something, you just immediately obeyed? Let me ask you this, parents. How crazy would it be if you asked your kid to take out the, cra- the trash and they're like, yes, ma'am. They just took that trash out, right? Hey, sweep the driveway. Yes, sir. And they just got, I mean, wouldn't your, wouldn't your house and your home be radically different, all the parents said, right? And as a child of God, how radically different would our relationship to him be when he spoke into our lives and we followed him? But then it says, they left their boat and followed him. Now, these are usually the two most significant things in our life. I believe the boat represents our careers, the way we take care of ourselves. These men left the means for which they were going to provide for themselves and their family. They just walked away from all of it. They said, I'm all in with Jesus. And then the Bible says their father. They left their father. That means our most significant relationships. Now, all of this means this. To follow Jesus, he has to take precedence over both. He has to take precedence over your career, over you trying to climb, over you trying to climb the corporate ladder and make a name for yourself or to be uh, something or significant in this world. It means that, um, you, look, man, when I got married, um, I wanted to marry someone who was all in with Jesus Christ. I didn't want to marry someone who was just a Christian, but I knew that God was calling me into full-time ministry, and, and I dated some girls, and I know we got some young people in the, the audience today that are in college, and they're getting to that age. And I dated some girls, man, that I was like, I just can't see this person being in ministry and following Christ the way that I think God is calling me to follow Christ. And it's going to be, to some degree, a difficult life. And I had to find someone that I knew was going to, to, to be all in with Jesus to that degree. Man, I, my mom right now, she's struggling with her health. Her husband's got pancreatic cancer. And she found out this week, and I, I told her when I was there, I told my mom, I said, Mom, I'd be shocked if Jerry makes it to Christmas. And my mom's sitting there weeping in the kitchen in the home that she lives with, my, my brother. And this week I got a call from her, and she's, or my brother. And you could just sense in his voice that was just, just deflated, discouraged. He says, Jay, you need to call mom. She's having a rough day. She got a call from Moffitt Hospital, and they just said, hey, he can do chemo, but it might give him a month or more, but it's not going to save his life. And I'm sitting there thinking in my head, like I just, you know, sarcasm. I, just, I, I told her that, you know. But for some reason, it took someone else saying it for her to hear. And, you know, my heart's heavy because I want to be there for her. I remember when my dad died in 2000, he dropped over dead of a heart attack. And I was laying in my dorm room. I got a call from my pastor. He says, Jay, you need to get home. My wife and I hopped in the car, and I drove to St. Louis. Her sister Christy and her husband at the time took us there. We spent the night, spent every penny I had to get on a plane and, and fly. We just had gotten engaged, and um, I flew down there. Before I even got home, my dad died. We had the funeral that week, and they hurried it all together. And 
I got back on the plane and I went to college and, you know, to, to some small degree, there have been some things that I've missed out with in my family because God has called me to Chicago. You know, our missionaries go through this all the time. You think about our missionaries on the mission field and, and, and uh, we've got missionaries in Brazil and we've got missionary like our, our missionary Lyle Armstrong to, to, to Beirut and Lebanon. They leave all of that. Lyle is a brilliant, brilliant man with a Ph.D. in, in, in Islamic antiquities, right? And he's teaching in the American uh, University there in Beirut. Can have any job he wants. He's pastoring a church full of Muslims in the city of Beirut. See, sometimes God calls us to leave our careers or to leave our dreams or our ambitions or our agendas, and he calls us to lay them down at the door. Sometimes he calls us to sacrifice certain things so that other people can know about Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, and it's hard. It's hard sometimes to be away from my family. But I'm going to look around this room and I see the lives that have been touched by a simple call and a simple act of obedience. And I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Because God calls us to do that. It's always worth obeying him and it works out in the end. Now listen, most of you won't literally lose your father and your mother over Jesus. Some of you might. Some God might tell you to change your career. We've had that in our church. Maybe God will tell you to transfer your job to be a part of a church plant. We've seen that in the last year. Three of our families have moved down to Florida to be part of church plants and church planting networks uh, to, to see other churches planted. And they're doing the same thing. He might ask you to leave your job and, and carry the gospel overseas. For many of you, it probably won't be that dramatic, all right? You guys, let me, so you can breathe now, right? Whew, I don't have to go to Africa, I'm in, right? But I'm going to tell you this. You're going to have moments where you have to decide what holds greater sway over your life. You're going to have it. You're going to have times and you're going to have moments in your life where you need to decide what has the greater sway? Your career, your family, or your calling that God has placed on your life? Because see, these men, in Jesus, these men found someone worth losing everything for, right? They found something in Jesus that was worth losing everything for. When I was a young person in college, I heard John Piper say this. In fact, um, it's in the book that he wrote, and I can't remember it off the top of my head right now, but he says this, why don't you find something worth living for and lay your life down for that, right? Amen? We've got some teens and students in here today. I hope all the parents are like, yeah, amen. I want my kid to grow up and live for something that's worth dying for. I want my kids to be involved in that. Because listen, when you retire from your job, they may give you a plaque, and they'll pack up your cubicle and maybe give you a cake and celebrate your 30 years at the company. But when you're gone, you're gone and business goes on as usual. And you need to make a living. And you need to provide for your family. And you need to, you need to um, uh, contribute to the betterment of society at large. But friends, I want to tell you today, what really matters in this life are the lives that we impact for the life to come. Verse 20, we see that he commands us to spiritually reproduce. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. He says in verse 19, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You see, following Jesus means you subject everything in your life to his lordship. 
most of us struggle with that. Man, I struggle, I struggle with this. I, I mean, let's be honest today. Who likes having someone else tell them what to do? Anyone? Not, none of us do. I, I, I mean, my wife, we've been married almost 20 years, and she tries that junk. I mean, it drives me nuts. I'm a, I'm a grown man. I don't need you to tell me what towel to use. If I want to use that towel to dry my body and dry the dishes and do all clean the floors, I'll, I'll do that. I won't subject the rest of the family to that, but I'll do that. I'm a grown man. Just trying to save you time doing laundry. Y'all be thanking me. No one, no one, no one likes that. But you know what? And I, I, think it's, I think it's ridiculous, you know, bumper stickers. I just think people are crazy. Like, if you got bumper stickers, God bless. In the South, we say, well, Lord bless them, you know. If you got some bumpers, if you have that bumper sticker that says, Jesus is my co-pilot, I'm like, this is the eye roll emoji. Dude, Jesus ain't your co-pilot. Like, he's in the driver's seat. I mean, if Jesus is your savior, redeemer, if he's the God of the universe, he's not sitting in the passenger seat. He's in the driver's seat. Listen, you're not in charge of your life. You were bought with a price. So as a follower of Christ, you forsake all that he has forbidden, and you pursue all that he has prescribed. And I just want to say to our church today, there's so much more to following Jesus than the monotonous spirituality. I come to church. I read my Bible. I pray. I give an offering. I hand out a tract. Listen, man, I think some of you are wasting the best parts of your faith and the best parts of your Christianity just going through the motions. God has something more for all of us today to really make a difference with one person at a time. Just like he was a fisher of men, Jesus was saying, come, you come with me. I want you to be a fisher. How would your life be different? How would it be different? If you made an impact in one person's life this year and they went from death to life, how would that be different? How crazy would that be that, that God would see fit to let you share your faith with someone else and they went from death to life, from heaven or from hell unto heaven? Can I get an amen? I don't know about you, but I mean, that kind of just gets me fired up today. And this is the essential part of being a disciple. It's not something that only a few of us do. It's something that each of us does. It's actually a part of our DNA. And if you're not bearing fruit, you really have to question whether you're a disciple at all because there's no such thing as a non-reproducing Christian. There's no such thing. In fact, Jesus said in John 15, 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Spurgeon said it this way, Spurgeon said, you're either a missionary or you're an imposter. Now, now listen, I have some of you like, man, that's kind of harsh, Pastor. No, that's kind of true. And we're not talking about an overseas missionary. We're talking about in your soccer league. We're talking about in your high school. We're talking about on your college campus. We're talking about in your, 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 your uh, some of you are into the uh, craft booking clubs, Right? Is that still a thing? I don't know. Maybe your book clubs. You know, all, all the little social networks that we have, guess what, friends? That's your mission field. 
that's the place that you've been called into and that God has placed you in so that other people can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. The sad thing is, is that most of us aren't praying, saying, God, help me to see the spiritual opportunities that I have to tell other people about how you can radically change their life. God, help me to have the boldness and help me to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that others can know about who you are. Listen, some of us would sit here and say, well, it's the church's job. It's the pastor's job. Hey, I hope all of our pastors have a heart, and I think they do. I believe they do, in fact. I believe all of our pastors have a heart to see other people come to know Jesus Christ, and we do our best to to share our faith individually. But some of you sitting here today think, well, you know, that's what we pay the pastors for. They're the hired guns. We're the professionals. No, we're equippers. We're here to equip you to do the work of the ministry. We're here to help you know how you can be a follower of Christ and a disciple of Jesus Christ. So, So the answer for some people is like, well, you know, if we had this program, or if we had that program, or if we had this ministry, or if we had that ministry, hey, listen, God's plan isn't for more programs. That's not God's plan for the church. God's plan is people. Please write that down. God's plan is people. Guess what? You're his plan. If we never had a mops ministry, if we never had another growth group uh, meet again, if we didn't ever have a, an addiction ministry or a food pantry or a, a student ministry, guess what the plan would be? One person telling another person how they can know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We don't need plans for that. We don't need budgets for that. We just need faithful, obedient followers and disciples of Jesus Christ who say, hey, you know what? I don't know if you know or not, but Jesus loves you. 2,000 years ago, he came and he died on a cross for your sins and for mine. And, you know, I don't know if you have a relationship with God, if you know for certain that you're right with him, but I'd sure love to tell you what that means because it sounds like you got some things going on in your life right now, and I think he can help you along the way. Listen, you and I, we're God's methods, uh, God's method. This morning, our prayer, all of our pastors, we're praying because we want to see you become this. We want to see you to become the disciple that God has called you to be. And in fact, we really want you to commit to it. And some of you right now, the excuses and the rationalizations going on in your head. Well, man, I, you know, I, I, you don't know my neighbor. <laughs> uh, he sells math out, meth out of his uh, garage. You know, it's crazy. We come up with these excuses. Crazy people, right? This person that I know, they're never going to come to Jesus. Do you think that they thought that the maniac of Gadara was going to come to Jesus? He was possessed by demons, right? Do you have any demon possession? <laughs> Don't answer that. <laughs> Some of you are like, I work with demons. But if Jesus can do that, he can still do that today. So, so here's, don't, don't let the task intimidate you. Disciple making is simply teaching someone to follow Jesus as you follow Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. So don't let anything hold you back. Jesus has promised to help you. So this morning, identify your one. One. Not ten, not five, not twenty. One. Ask God to help you identify one person that you can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, bring to faith in Christ this year. You say, man, what's the importance of one? Several years ago, and I don't know if it's a true story, it's probably not. It probably came out of Reader's Digest or something. I don't know, but it just kind of touched me in a special way. But I remember reading a story about a little boy who was walking along the ocean, and he saw these starfish on the ocean. And all these starfish were out there, and, and, and you know, if starfish aren't in the water, they die. So this little boy was picking up starfish as he was walking along the edge of the ocean shore, and he'd pick one up, and he'd throw it in the water. He'd walk by, and he'd pick up another one, and he'd throw it in the water. And there was this old crusty fellow that come by, and he says, you really think you're going to make a difference? Because the whole 
seashore was littered with starfish that needed to be thrown back into the ocean. And he was just one little boy that was picking up one starfish at a time and throwing them back in the, the water so that they could live. But there was that guy. You really think you're going to make a difference? The little boy quipped at him and he says, I made a difference for that one. And then he picked up another one and he threw it back in. Some of us this morning, we just like, man, what difference can I really make? Listen, God's not calling us to be the next Billy Graham or D.L. Moody or whatever. He's calling you to touch the life of one person, just one. And I want to ask you this morning, could you imagine what it would look like if every one of the people in this room this weekend did this? What would happen if God, if, of all of us, said, God, give me one person I could bring to Jesus? Could you imagine? Like, I, I think we're probably over 200 today in the middle of summer, but Mike, John, uh, Clint, what would it look like, right? If like every single student in our, in our service today, every, every middle schooler that's in here today, I think fifth and sixth graders are in here. What if our fifth graders were like, I'm going to bring my friend to Jesus this year? What if our high schoolers just said, man, there's this girl at school and, and, and I know she's far from God and her parents are going through a divorce and she, her life is just jacked up. I'm bringing that girl to church. I'm gonna t- we got some college students up in here today. We got some young people that, hey, listen, they're going to run into more people on the first day of high school than most of us will run into our, our whole year, right? I mean, the whole mission field. Uh, some of you live in neighborhoods and communities, and, and there's people all around you. I, I got a new neighbor. He wants to put a fence in my backyard. I'm not real fired up about it, but, you know, we've been talking about it and working that through, and, and uh, his name is Joe. Joe's my one. My wife is going to go after his wife named Heather, and that's her one. Who's your one? But what would it look like this morning if every single one of us was like, hey, I know everyone's here thinking like, whoa, we're going to do a stage dive. Could you catch me? (laughs) What would it look like? How crazy would it be to be a part of a church and a movement that the Holy Spirit empowered not just a few people, but every single person in this room to truly make a difference this coming year? We wouldn't be worrying about like, should we go to two services? Should we build? What group should we add? <laughs> We'd be packing this place out co- to capacity if just every single person in this room would obey the call to be what God has already called us to be, and that's a disciple of Jesus Christ.